Well, you can grab a seat and check this out. My name's LaGuardia Cross. This is my one-year-old daughter, Amala. And uh, she's not an infant anymore, but I still have a whole lot to learn. So it's about time that I interview with Tyler. So you've been alive for 14 months now. You're walking, you're talking, you're clapping, you're dancing. You don't have to do an example. But my, my question is, within all that time of experience, why do you still refuse to sleep through the night? Just why? Why do you not do it? So I wanted to ask you um, about your. <laughs> where did you, where did you get that food from? I didn't get a chance to eat before the interview, so I'm not trying to. It just may I, may I please just have a little piece? Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. I was. Uh, oh wow. Wow. What's what's wrong? <laughs> the food is too hot for you, isn't it? You see? Alright, pass it over and I'll cool it off. For you. you know, uh, my daughter Charlotte is about that age. She's four that girl is fourteen months old in that video. My daughter's the exact same. She's about fourteen going on fifteen months. And speech is something incredibly important at this age, at this season, in this stage. Her ability to talk really is amazing when she unpacks the, the useful weapon that she uses in terms of keeping us up all night, uh, her preferred term of being known as the Almighty. Uh, just her ability to communicate with us is growing, not just maybe in those kind of interpretive moments, but she's actually starting to pick up actual words to use to start kind of rudimentary conversation with us. She loves reading books. She loves being read to. And so she's learned to tell us book, 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 book when she wants to read a book. She loves food. And so she has learned to call for food by saying, ma, 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 ma. And she kind of pokes her hand. I think that's sign language. Kind of, no, it's supposed to be like this, but I don't know. She's, she's, she's 14 months old, all right? So cut her a break. But she's, she's working on these skills, and she's learning and growing. She's able to talk, and it's powerfully affected our relationship. Suddenly, we find ourselves in moments where we're not having to always just wonder what she's thinking when she looks contemplative and just staring off into the distance really considering her life decisions uh, that led her to that moment. She's able to express herself. She's able to tell us things. She's able to say, well, I want ma-ma, or I want buk-buk-buk, or I want ma-ma-ma. And one of the most powerful ways it's really affected our relationship is most days now, at the end of the day, when I go home, I get to walk into a house where the first thing I hear is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because she hears the garage door and knows what that means. And, and man, that is something, that's, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard. To walk into that home, to hear that word, to hear that word used in a way that brings so much joy to my life. It's incredible. And yet what I realize is that in about mm, 13 years, uh, having worked in youth ministry, having been a teenager myself, I know that I'm headed for some words that are going to be a little bit different uh, than just buck, buck, and da, da, da. Like, I know that at some point Charlotte's going to tell me how she thinks that I'm dumb or how I'm an embarrassing or how she hates a rule that I've set up or just sort of generally dislikes me as a human being. 
uh, we're headed for that moment. Her words have so much power to bring incredible joy to my life, and yet they will also one day bring incredible sorrow and just break my heart when I have those conversations with her that I know are coming. The truth is that all of us have that power in our words. We all have the power to create incredible joy or incredible sorrow in the lives around us. And we've seen this. We've seen this happen. We've seen their ability to encourage or discourage. We've seen their ability to start or, or fix a relationship and their ability to just destroy one. We've seen their ability to heal a person. We've seen their ability to hurt a person. Our words have incredible power. This is the truth that we see laid out that Whitney read for us in Proverbs 12, that speaking recklessly is like the thrusts of a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. This is truth that we can all attest to. So how do we as believers avoid reckless words that cut like a sword? How do we instead pursue wise words that bring healing? Well, this morning, we're going to briefly look at this and and we're going to realize and unpack the fact that when we walk into conversations with certain motivations, it determines what our words can do. And we'll understand that if we are finding our words destroying and destroying and destroying and hurting and hurting and hurting, what we'll find is that many times that's because when we walk into that conversation, we are pursuing revenge or renown for ourselves. And if we really want to walk into people's lives and speak in such a way that brings healing, then we need to be motivated. We need to be seeking to provide respect or restoration, reconciliation, for the people around us. But first we have to recognize, again, that we all have this capacity to destroy people with our words. This is what we see in James chapter 3, where he says that no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. He says our tongues are full of this deadly poison. We can walk into church on Sunday and bless the Lord and then walk out that very afternoon and curse a roommate for using too many paper towels to dry off that plate or whatever. We can speak one way and then in another in the same day, in the same conversation, in the same moment. We've seen our tongues use that deadly poison. We've all spit that out at people around us, maybe even loved ones in our lives. My wife, Susan, and I were dating in early college, our sophomore year. Uh, we'd been dating for about a year, but we, we came up to this summer of long distance, right? She was going to go to Dallas and work in a church as a youth intern. I was staying here to take classes and work in youth ministry here. And so we had this summer apart. And, you know, when you've only been dating for a year and a half or so, uh, that three months can be very daunting, right? That's kind of a make it or break. That's a lifetime in a summer. It's amazing, and so when we were walking into it, we were both a little hesitant. We were like, well, you know, I, we'll see how it goes. You know, I, I hope, uh, hope I see you on the other side. <laughs> Guess we'll know, you know, only one way to find out. And so we entered into that summer a little bit hesitant, but things started off okay. Like we were still calling. We didn't, uh, I think we, we had started getting to use Skype that summer. I think I had, I, I didn't have high-speed internet the summer before, but this summer I had high-speed internet. And so we could actually Skype and see each other's faces, which was really beneficial. But the reality was that over the course of that summer, we both got busy, we both got stressed. And as the summer continued on, our evening conversations got more and more tense, got more and more frustrated and discouraging until one evening I finally just broke. 
One evening, when we were talking together, uh, I was walking around outside of my house, and we're, she's telling me about Dallas. She's telling me about these struggles and these issues they have with these coworkers and all this stuff that's going on. And I just reached this moment where I just told her that I, I couldn't take being her emotional punching bag anymore. Uh, I don't know. I just snapped, and I was like, I can't, I can't be it. So I literally said that. I'm your emotional punching bag, which is insi- like, no, I wasn't. But I said it. And I kind of unleashed on her, and I said, this, 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 blah, 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 blah. and then she, she, she kind of heard me out, and then she hung up. And I <laughs> was like, oh, no, uh. so I called her back, and she didn't answer. And I called back multiple times, wouldn't answer, texted her, wouldn't answer. And so I went to bed furious at this moment. I was so upset that she wouldn't hear me out, that she didn't hear these things that I wanted to say, and how, you know, and I didn't realize the irony of how I was claiming to be the punching bag, and yet I was just boom, 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 laying into her over the phone. Of course she hung up on me. Of course she didn't answer. And yet I was so frustrated in that moment because I had created a poisonous situation. I had spit this deadly poison at this person who I loved. Why? Because I'm I'm sinful. (laughs) because I have those faults, because I have those failures, because I have those broken desires, because I was unleashing on her. I was, I was venting frustration that was completely unrelated to our situation. I wanted to tell her how great, how big I was, you know, all of my stuff and how I was feeling. And I wanted to build up myself in that conversation. I didn't care about her. Because of our sin, we can find ourselves speaking from a desire for revenge or for renown. And when I say that, I mean, when we speak uh, out of a, a desire for revenge, we're per- pursuing revenge for ourselves. Sometimes it's that moment where we are talking with a loved one or a friend or a family member, and we just, bah, we just unleash on them. And it's because we're bringing frustration and disappointment from some other area completely disconnected, and we're just bah, dumping it on them because we think they can take it. Because we sort of take them for granted. We're like, well, here, you, can, you deal with this. We just, we snap on them. Sometimes it's where we maybe have this bitterness and resentment. Someone, you know, does something against us or we just kind of feel slighted. And so we allow it to build and grow. And maybe we talk to a few people about it and that just helps it grow and build and build. And we allow this bitterness and resentment to just build up in our hearts until that perfect moment that we see coming where we can just say that word or we can put out that opinion or we can talk to that certain person that we know is the opportune moment to just cut that other person back down to size. It's tragic because we even do this with our friends where maybe they did something against us or a roommate, you know, they slipped up, they used too many paper towels at one time and we're just like, oh no, no, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But inwardly we're just, we're not made of money, paper towels, like we can't do this. And we let it grow and we let it build. And then all of a sudden, maybe a few months later, we say something or we do something because that'll show them. That'll get them back for that slight against me. We walk into conversations with the goal of pursuing revenge for ourselves. And when we do that, it brings sorrow and pain in other people's lives. So my question to you, my, my tough question to you today, is who have you hurt? Who have you hurt in your pursuit for revenge? Who was it this week or last month or a year ago? Who immediately comes to your mind when I talk to you about the revenge that we seek in our conversations? We hurt people when we seek revenge. We hurt people when we pursue renown for ourselves. What I mean by that is sometimes it's it's we're minimizing maybe the accomplishments of someone else uh, for the sake of maximizing our own. 
right? We downplay their accomplishment and like, oh no, like none of them help me keep things clean. They're all just like icky, icky people. I'm the one that ever does anything around here. Or, or yeah, no, we had that group project, but like everyone else, oh my gosh, like dumb, 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 dumb. Like so, just bottom of the barrel, where do they come from? I guess that, that top 10% rule or something. Like we just, we minimize these people. We do this where we minimize others for the sake of maximizing ourselves, for the sake of building ourselves up. Sometimes it's finding an opportunity to attack maybe the character or capabilities of someone else in order to inflate our own ego. Sometimes it's, well, I got to kind of, you know, I'm a little bit intimidated by how good that person is at that thing. And so, well, I'm going to find some other reason that like they're not like totally the worst so that I feel better about myself, or so I can still be like the funny one, or I can still be the, the fun one, or I can still have whatever thing I want to have, so I can still have my kingdom set up. So I'm going to build up myself at the ex- at this expense of someone else. I'm going to seek that renown to, to boast, maybe, in my personal abilities and just ignore other people. Sometimes we don't even just actively hurt them. Maybe sometimes we just don't even give them the time of day. Because I'm so concerned in building myself up, in speaking about my life, in telling people about all these wonderful things that I've accomplished, that I don't even pay attention to what's going on in their life. And when I do that, I'm being a terrible friend. When I do that, I'm hurting others. I'm bringing pain and sorrow into other people's lives. When I seek that renown for myself. So who have you hurt in that pursuit? Who's been adversely affected? Who's been given, who's had pain or sorrow brought up in their life? Because you were too caught up in your own desires. You're too caught up in boosting yourself up and boasting in your own abilities and your own accomplishments. Who's that person that you've neglected? Who's that person that's been hurt because of your pursuit of your personal renown? We all do it. But thankfully, It's not all we're capable of. Thankfully, by the grace of God and through the work of the Spirit, our words can't don't only have to hurt, but they can also bring healing. True, they have the power to bring sorrow, but they have the power to bring so much joy and life into the lives of others. This is what we see spelled out in Colossians 3. That therefore, as the elect of God, so he's speaking to a group of believers, he says, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else. If you'll notice, you're seeing these attributes, you're seeing these qualities, these things that you want in a conversation, these things that you want to be speaking and hearing from other people. And what we need to recognize is that they are not in and of themselves something that we're capable of. We've talked about this multiple times that these things are the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 is clear that this is something that we can't do on our own. I can't just be merciful. I can't just wake up and be like, it's kind day. It's happening. Like, I can't do that. I have to rely on the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells every single believer, who mentors us, who guides us, who tutors us, who counsels us. Holy Spirit will produce fruit in our lives. It will produce these things. If I'm placing myself in a position to be led by the Spirit, if I'm walking by the Spirit, is language we see in Scripture, walking in a way that I'm allowing the Spirit to work through my life. 
If I'm in that spot, if I'm moving in that way, these things can pop up in my life. They pop up in my conversation. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. This is beautiful. Because of the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, we all have the opportunity, the potential, to bring healing with our words. To not bring pain and sorrow into someone's life, but to bring joy and love into someone else's life. On that fateful, in that fateful summer, I went to bed furious, and I woke up uh, realizing that I had made a huge mistake. Like, immediately, I woke up and I just knew, I was like, no, mm-mm. bad call, <laughs> bad, literally bad call. And I woke up very early. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, woke up at 5 a.m. And I was like, no, nah, that, was, that, was that was not the way to go. Uh, what in the world was I thinking? What was I doing? Why did I behave in that way? After I had that moment to cool down, I realized, wow, I am so very in the wrong. And so I thought, you know what? I woke up at five. So let's just, uh, let's run with this. Let's take advantage of this moment. So I had a morning class. I had a 745 class at Blinn that summer, but I, I talked with my professor. I said, hey, look, here's the situation. Uh, I have this girl who I love, uh, who we're on this, you know, this, she's my maiden, my betrothed. Well, we weren't engaged, but my betrothed, right? Like, I, she's out there, and she's in Dallas, and I mess things up, and, and I got to go. I got to reconcile. I got to fix this. So is it okay if, you know, do I have your blessing to miss class? And, and I talked to him and I asked him this because I also knew that he was a believer. We had had conversations before uh, that he called me uh, Brother Smith uh, all throughout class because he was this super awesome traditional believer from South Africa. And so in that moment, as I'm talking to him, I'm explaining the situation. I'm like, look, like I got this thing going on. Like there's this girl and, and like we're both in youth ministry and we just love the Lord. And we love each other. No, no, no. I'm just trying to explain it. I'll always, I will always remember he talked to me, he said, he said, he said, Brother Smith, he says, go with God. Go with God, Brother Smith. I was like, I will, I will do that. And so I got in my car and I drove to Dallas. I took a three-hour drive to Dallas and I'm going up there and I'm going towards Plano. I don't know where I'm headed. We didn't, I didn't have navigation on my phone or anything like that. And so I called my buddies. I was interning in the same church. And he was like, yeah, well, she's leading a sixth-grade girl Bible study right now at a Chick-fil-A here in Plano. I was like, okay, that's where I'm headed. So I go to the Chick-fil-A. I get there about, I guess, like 8, 8.30 uh, in the morning. And she's in the middle of having this conversation. I see her across the restaurant and I start to approach her table, uh, not really having thought through anything that I was going to say. <laughs> And it didn't really matter because as soon as I got close, she just starts to weep. She sees me and she starts to cry. And she's got like three or four sixth grade girls sitting with her who are then all very uncomfortable. (laughs) And very concerned about this tall person approaching the table. So even as I got up there, like she's just kind of crying. And she's like, she's reassuring. She's like, no, it's okay. okay." And they're just kind of looking at me like, is this a bad man? Like, what's going on? Do we need a timeout? What's going on? And so they, but they let me pass. And I was just like, hey, you know, let's, let's talk after. She's like, yeah, let's talk after. That's great. And so I waited. They finished up their Bible study. I'm sure it was just really productive after that point. <laughs> but they finished up. And then afterwards, Susan and I had a chance to talk. And I had an opportunity, first and foremost, to just apologize. And just tell her that I was so sorry. And that I so desperately wanted to reconcile. That I so desperately wanted to, to mend what I had broken. I asked her to forgive me. I asked her to be patient with me. I asked for her mercy. Because I wanted to mend that. I wanted to bridge that gap. I wanted to make that relationship 
whole again. I wanted to bring healing where I had just the day before brought so much hurt. And now we're married with a baby, so it worked. Uh, And we need to recognize that we all have that potential. We all have the ability to bring joy and healing if we carry the correct motives into our conversations. Through the work of the Spirit, we can speak out of a desire not to pursue selfish revenge or selfish renown, but we can walk into a conversation with the motivation to provide respect or restoration for another person. We can provide respect for people, meaning that we can, we can affirm our classmates or our coworkers or our roommates or our friends or our family members. We can affirm the good things we see in their life. We can affirm their accomplishments. We can affirm their attributes. How strange would it feel if you went home, saw your roommate, and was just like, man, I really appreciate you. Thanks so much for X, Y, Z. Thanks so much for doing this or that. I, I, really, I, you know, I, just, I really appreciate getting to spend time with you and live with you. How many of our roommates were just like, mm, uh, what is going on? Like, how many of our roommates would just slowly back out of the room because they're like, I don't know you. Like, what's going? That's tragic. That our affirmation, affirming someone, bringing respect to someone is, is that strange and uncommon. But we have that potential. Sometimes it's thanking our loved ones for, for what they are, for the blessing that they are in our lives. Calling up our parents, just thanking them for the opportunities that they've given you, that they've sacrificed for. Thanking them for the way that they've loved you and supported you parents or siblings or cousins or uncles or aunts or whoever it might be. Thanking those people for what they've done. Sometimes it's encouraging our friends when we know that they're hurting. We know that they're struggling in something. We can bring respect into their life. We can, we can affirm them and tell them, no, like, you're, you're great. Like, I'm here for you. I want to help you. I want to serve you. I want to be available to, do, to provide whatever you need in this hard time. Our words can highlight the inherent value that God has given to all of humanity if we walk in with the goal of providing respect. So my question to you is, who needs to hear those words from you? Who is it that needs to hear that affirmation? Who needs, it, who needs to hear those words of respect that maybe you've been failing to provide? The thankfulness or the, the whatever it might be, that conversation. Who is that person in your life? Some of us, maybe that's normal for us. Maybe we like to affirm people. Maybe we enjoy you know, speaking encouraging words to one another. And yet, if that's the case, we still probably fail at times to seek restoration in many relationships. Sometimes we get so burned or someone just hurts us so bad or there's something happens where they cross paths or we just don't line up and we don't want to bring forgiveness into the equation. Either maybe we wronged them and we don't want to seek their forgiveness. We just kind of want to let it be. Maybe they wronged us and we just don't want to hear it. But sometimes if we're going to walk into that conversation and provide restoration, we need to initiate that I'm sorry moment at a Plano Chick-fil-A. It just needs to happen. Some of us have that person right now that we're thinking of right there. Capture that thought. Capture that person in your mind. Because that's a relationship that needs to be restored. Because God calls us to live at peace with one another, in harmony with one another, to bring love into every equation. Sometimes it's just being quick to forgive someone who hurts you. 
Maybe you still can't trust them. Maybe that hurt was so deep and so painful that you don't have to trust them right away. But you can forgive them. You can recognize that you're both sinners. That Jesus Christ died for both of you. So just as we've been forgiven, so we shall also forgive those who wrong us. Sometimes it's just using kind and gracious words for a person or for a situation when others aren't speaking in that same way. Sometimes it's being a little bit more positive when you're surrounded by negativity. Maybe it's building someone up or, or speaking highly of, of a situation, a circumstance, a, a project you've been given. Even when it could be so easy to fall into the negative, to just kind of, you know, kind of lay on more and more uh, negativity onto whatever it is. That maybe sometimes that restoration that we can provide is, is not even just between us and one person. Maybe it's for a group of people to reconcile all of us towards that professor who maybe isn't perfect or towards that roommate who maybe does frustrate all of us. We still have the opportunity to speak in a way that, that brings restoration. Our words can contribute to the work of restoration that God always desires for his creation. God always desires restoration. That's what he's all about. Redeeming, reconciling, restoring. Our God wants to take what's broken and make it whole. So who needs to hear your words of restoration? Who needs that in your life right now? You know, this is what's so incredible about sharing the gospel with people around us, is that if I'm speaking the gospel, if I'm sharing the gospel with someone else, it is the perfect embodiment of all of these principles. If I'm sharing the gospel, means that I'm telling someone that despite their sin, despite their failure, that God still loves them, right? If I share the good news of Jesus Christ, it's that Christ himself stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live, die, and rise again for our sake, that anyone who calls on his name might be saved, that he died the death that we deserve, that he rose again, proving his power over sin and over death, so that we all have the opportunity to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When I share that with someone, when I tell them that that's what God did for them because God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them, if I share that with someone, it's an incredible picture of how Jesus Christ overcame our broken desires for revenge and our desires for renown. Jesus Christ's death was a sacrifice that could atone for those sins, that could atone for those wrong desires, that would provide an opportunity for us to walk a better path. His sacrifice displayed our inherent value. It's the number one sign of the respect, of the dignity that God has given all humanity, that Jesus Christ, that God himself would die for us. Man, that's the highest value, value you could ever imagine. And it's been given to humanity as a whole. Jesus Christ died so that he would bring restoration to our relationship with God our Father. This is why we have communion. Communion is an opportunity for us, given to us by the Lord. A, a moment, a time, a practice that allows us to reflect on what Christ has done and what he calls us to proclaim to the world. 
That's why we see Paul describing it in 1 Corinthians 11 as after he, meaning Christ, had given thanks, Jesus broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, remember what I've done. Reflect on what I've done. Remember the things that I've accomplished for your sake. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remember what I've done and use this as an opportunity to just proclaim it to the world at large. That Jesus Christ is your Savior, is your Lord. Own that, remember that, reflect on that, and then go and tell someone about that. That's what communion's for. But what's beautiful is that it can serve more than just one purpose. That the act of communion, the the practice of communion, doesn't just allow us to reflect on what Christ has done. It's also an opportunity for us to reflect on what we have done. Meaning, how have we treated the people around us? We often stop here when we take communion together. But if we just keep going, we see the second purpose laid out. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself first. And in this way, let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's telling the church in Corinth, he's, the Lord is commanding to all churches everywhere, all group, gatherings, all bodies of believers. He's saying, when you approach the Lord's table, when you enter into this moment of communion, you should examine yourself. You should search yourself. You should ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light where have you been at fault? What unworthy manner is within you? Because if you do this, man, it's just, it's not ideal. It's not what you're supposed to walk to the Lord in. You're not supposed to go up to him thinking about like, oh yeah, well, I, you know, this person's a dumb-dumb and like, I hate all this stuff and I hate the way that this is going. If you approach him in that way, he says, that's an unworthy manner. He says, if you approach him in this way, if you're eating and drinking without careful regard for the body, you're eating and drinking judgment against yourself. The body, meaning the the body of Christ, meaning the church. If you are walking into this moment without regard for any of your interactions with other people, it says you're drinking judgment against yourself. The Lord wants us to approach him with honest hearts, with clean consciences. Communion, it's an opportunity for us to just air out that dirty laundry. To just look in, take that honest evaluation of, man, where am I? Who have I hurt in those ways? Who needs to hear my words of respect and restoration? Who can I bring joy to instead of sorrow? So we're wrapping up this morning with communion, with an opportunity to come to the Lord, to to take the bread, to take the drink, to approach the Lord in this moment, where we as believers, for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, every single one of us as a, as a believing whole, as the body of Christ, we approach this moment, again, not just to reflect on what Christ has done, that is a beautiful thing, but to also reflect on what we have done, on what our relationships look like, on how we're living, on, on the interactions that we've had, and to take an honest examination of, well, what, what needs to be done? So as we wrap up, you can feel free to, to sing, 
As we'll, we'll be led through song, you can feel free to, to pray alone. Feel free to pray together. Feel free to sit, stand, whatever is right in this moment for you. Just That's great. Communion will be available. We're going to have a, you know, an extended time of worship here at the end, so there's no rush. You don't have to go right away. But I would encourage you to do more than just think about, okay, well, what's Christ done? Where, where am I headed? But think about what's my impact on the people around me. Ask the Lord in this moment, in that song or in that prayer together to, separately or whatever it is, in that moment, ask the Lord to convict you of who have you cut with your words? Who have you failed to build up with your words? How have you been treating the body around you, the people around you? And start the process of reconciliation now, right now. In these next few moments, I'd encourage you to send that text now. Not the one where you just like lay it all out and it's like 10 pages long and you're like, oh, you know, like that's not best. But send the text that will start the conversation, that will maybe initiate the conversation, that will set up on your schedules that conversation that you have with your friend or your roommate or your family member. The, the conversation that could happen over a coffee or over a meal or over a phone call. Do that now. Seize this moment. Seize this opportunity to start that process. Pull out your phones and do it. Or maybe some of us were like, you know what? I could call them. I should call them. If that's you, wonderful. You can step out through the back and make that call. Start that process. Talk with that person. Leave them the voicemail that says, hey, let's, let's get together. Let's have some time this evening. All the roomies together. Or let's have a coffee, you and me. Or let's set up a phone conversation that can happen. Start that process now because it's our command, it's our charge as we approach the Lord in communion. So we'll begin this time in prayer. And again, I would encourage you, you can sing, you can pray, you can take communion at any point. But whatever you do, ask the Spirit to convict you, to put that person on your heart, to bring that name to mind. Text them. Call them. Start that process now. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you've given us, Lord, a, a, a time to just reflect on what you've done. Lord, we thank you for the work of Christ. God, that it's only by his blood and his sacrifice that we are even capable of loving others, Lord, of, of living in peace and living patiently. Lord, we thank you that it's only by your work that we can be restored to relationship with you. Lord, we thank you it's by your work that we can be restored to relationship with others. Lord, whether it's someone that we've actively hurt, maybe someone that we've just passively hurt, Lord, by ignoring them, someone we've failed to build up, even though we haven't necessarily cut them down. Lord, we ask that you would convict us of that now, that your Holy Spirit would would move in our hearts, would draw those names to mind, that God would motivate us to, to start that process right now, whether it's a text, a call, putting it on our calendars. Lord, don't let this moment go to waste. Lord, don't let us approach you in an unworthy manner. In an unworthy manner. If you would take a moment now, just ask the Lord, God, who is it I need to talk to? Simple question and ask him to empower you, to to motivate you, to 
provide the peace or patience or kindness or goodness or whatever it is that you need to seek reconciliation with that person that maybe has hurt you or maybe you've hurt. Ask the Lord to bring that person to mind right now. Ask him.